Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hi, good morning to you. It is 21 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. And a pretty good-looking morning, as a matter of fact. A little chilly, no question about it, but a little less precipitation than yesterday because so far so good looking clear on a Tuesday my name is Jake Query Kevin Bowen here as well Mark Dykton is the guy spinning the hits for us uh, you're the guy what is it from the stacks and wax the wax of stacks what is it they say in Stand By Me I, I don't know it's a 35 year old reference I, I haven't seen Stand By Me in that's probably 15 years that's a great movie was that's that a, a Miles Turner reference there on the coming back song yeah you're very good at that See, very nice one of the one of the true underappreciated undertones on this program is your ability to play songs that are relevant to the sequence before. That's a that's a real trick in radio. That's my hidden I, genius. I, I, I do hear that I, from, from a lot of people, so I'm glad that that is being noticed. Um, Kevin, I've had a lot of people say this as well to me. Gosh, Frank Wright got a job before the Colts could find a coach, right? That narrative has been out there. Frank Wright now... Um, coaching in Carolina, does that have any rippling effect on the Colts now in terms of who's going to be in the building on 56th and who isn't? So it was reported last night um, that Frank Reich is retaining two Panthers assistant coaches on his staff down there in Carolina. Those two coaches would be Chris Tabor, who leads their special teams units, and James Campen, who is their offensive line coach. So if you look at those two positions and look at the Colts staff, I think Bubba Ventrone is a guy that the new head coach here in Indianapolis needs to try and retain. Now, obviously, Bubba is, or was, a head coaching candidate. We've not seen his name mentioned for a second interview. Um now, if you're a Colts fan, you probably wish the offensive line coach, Chris Strasser, would have gone to Carolina, right? <laughs> I can't see a heavy demand in wanting to bring back Chris Strasser for your O-line. but um, So Frank Reich does not appear to be wanting or bringing, I should say, Bubba Ventrone to Carolina. And again, I think that's good news for the Colts because Ventrone, to me, is a little bit of a different personality than a lot of Colts coaches. I think, honestly, he's got a little bit of a Nick Sirianni vibe. To him, and I think he should be someone that this new um, coaching staff looks to bring back. So I'd say we'll, we'll continue to monitor what Frank Reich's staff looks like. You know, the Gus Bradley situation is one to keep an eye on. Um, I thought Zach Kiefer pointed out well yesterday that, you know, Gus Bradley, I believe, is under contract for one more year here in Indy. So that's an odd dynamic, and if some team wants to interview Gus Bradley for their defensive coordinator position, the Colts could actually deny that request um, because it's a lateral move. Um, Would Chris Ballard grant that? Would Ballard look at his new head coach and obviously let that coach decide who his defensive coordinator is going to be? Is there any way Chris Ballard is saying to head coaching candidates, we want to keep Gus Bradley here? I don't think like Gus necessarily earned that right, but Ballard is a huge fan of, I think, maintaining this defensive system, considering how he's built it. So I think those are all things to keep in mind. Because a guy like Ajero Evero, who the Colts interviewed last week, he used a 3-4 defense in Denver last year. The Colts obviously have had a four-man front 
um, since Ballard's second season here. Ballard's been a huge advocate for that. If the Colts change defenses, everybody's on the table to be moved. How, Everybody is on the table to be moved. Do you know that there's a, a Wikipedia page of famous Bubba's and Bubba Ventrone is not listed? Really? Yeah. Only a matter of time. I mean... Did they not been, watch Hard Knocks? Yeah, there have been some great... Bill Clinton's nickname was Bubba. But like Bubba Wallace, Bubba from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, obviously... James Stewart, the motorcoaster, you know, motorcoaster, uh, Bubba, Bubba Watson. I mean, there have been a lot of famous Bubbas, but I would think Bubba Ventrone, you're a coach in the NFL. You should qualify, right? Oh, just look at his hair when he played. Just oh, unreal. Bubba, no. Um, what coaches, Kevin, we, we discussed this yesterday, but this is of interest. I, I find this interesting. In the possibility, I'm not saying the likelihood, but the possibility that some of these Colts head coaching interviews are actually guys that Chris Ballard, after the fact, looks at and says, you know what, I really like that guy, and I I, I don't know that, that Jim Mercer would hire him as the head coach, but maybe we talk to him about trying to pluck him away as a coordinator, and I don't even know if you can do that. You know, oh, I don't know. Sure. Well... Well, I mean, I, I know that you can, but you know, I don't know what the protocol in terms of like league teams and talk. But but I mean, Everett doesn't have a job, right? You know, and he, he was so fired he was one you mentioned. Staff. So what? Which coaches do you think it's possible that this is a kind of a, a buy one get one on the interview process for them? Yeah, I put Everett defensively, and then offensively, I'd say Eric Bieniemy, and that's it. Because I wonder if you could I mean, say like Mike Kafka with the Giants. Why would he leave the Giants situation? Um, obviously, guys like Shane Steichen. Why are you going to leave? Right. The the, the Eagles. Unless you know, it's you know, hey, I don't think the Colts have all of a sudden some attractive situation to where hey, come work with Justin Herbert. You know, the Colts don't have that. Well, here. that's that's the other thing, Kevin. That that to is of. I think worth looking into, and that is, I don't think we've talked about this. How appealing is this job? I think it's more appealing than people. I mean, I know that a head coaching job is appealing, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously you have the Jim Irsay cloud that hangs over you. You have a little bit of an awkward dynamic in the length of time the GM has been here. But at the end of the day, you've got a top five draft pick. You've got some pieces on each side of the ball. You don't have a ton, but you've got some pieces. And you're in a decent cap situation. And you're in a division that I think has optimism from other teams. you got one team moving in the right direction, one team stagnant, and but one team going in the wrong direction. still the AFC South. Like right. It's not like you're walking I mean, Jacksonville's into... going in the right direction. Houston or Houston is starting where you are, and Tennessee looks to be backpedaling. Now, right? again, I think there is optimism in the AFC South. More than there has been in recent years. Because think about it like this, Jake. If you if D'Amico Ryans becomes the Texans head coach, if you are a Colts fan right now, you would probably sign up for any of the three coaches in the other AFC South teams. Right. When's the last time Colts fans have said that? Now Mike Vrabel, Doug Peterson. You know, the 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 only division D'Amico Ryans. Right now, if you look at the NFL and you are a coaching if you're a guy looking for a head coaching job in the NFL, the only division that would seem to be more wide open for you than the AFC South would be the one Frank Reich's going into. Yeah, the South stink. The two Souths, yeah. I mean, the NFC South, are you afraid of New Orleans, Tampa, or Atlanta? No. I mean, good Lord. Who's the best quarterback in the NFC South? 
Oh, boy. Um, Assuming Brady's gone. Hell, you could even argue Brady I, in there. P.J. Walker. I, is Mariota even under contract anymore? Free agent. I mean, that's a good question. Sam Darnold? <laughs> Desmond Ritter. Man, it is a chilly start. Yeah, Desmond Ritter. In here. It's a uh, nice looking morning outside. It, it does look really nice outside. So for this week, again, J- last week, the second interviews, reportedly Jeff Saturday, Jero Evero, Raheem Morris, Wink Martindale. This week, Rich Bisaccia, I believe yesterday, that's the special teams coordinator. He's the Raiders interim when they made the playoffs last year. Shane Steichen, the Philly OC, and Brian Callahan, Cincinnati OC. Jake, the names that interviewed originally that we have not heard from in terms of second interviews, two guys have pulled out of these searches. That would be Ben Johnson, the Lions offense coordinator, and Dan Quinn in Dallas. The three, or I guess the four names that did interview originally that we have not seen on the second interview list, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator of the Lions, Eric Bieniemy with the Chiefs, Mike Kafka with the Giants, and the name we talked about just a few minutes ago, Bubba Ventrone with the Colts. And the first, this sounds weird to say, of the second interviews, the first one to conduct a second interview, was it was Saturday, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Um, Rich Basaccia, to me, I kind of like. Doesn't I, he look like Chuck Pagano a bit? He looks like a kind of a, a heftier version of him, right? Little Italy mafia. He, <laughs> okay. He... There's actually a guy that goes to my gym that he looks exactly like that throws me for a curveball every time I see well, a picture of him. But It's a unique last name. You might as well um, introduce yourself. But he did, I thought, a pretty good job in the Raiders under a, cir- a, oh a difficult God, circumstance, a right? Job. I mean, seven and five amidst all the issues. I mean, how many guys do they have arrested? The John Gruden resignation. They win their last four games last year to get in the playoffs. And they've really had chances to beat Cincinnati in round one. In that wild card game at Cincinnati, and that again was without Devontae Adams. Um, I know people will laugh at this, Jake, but if you look at the recent interviews and the candidates, I kind of split them up into two categories. This week, you've got the offensive-minded guys, Shane Steichen and Brian Callahan. That is one element to this coaching search that I think is a big, big factor. Finding the offensive mind, pairing that guy with the young QB. Jake and Rich Bisaccia's case and Wink Martindale's case... And again, I know this is a cliche phrase, but it is a phrase that Chris Ballard and Jim say love. And that's leader of men. And I get it's cliche, and I get it at is times so cliche. it is overblown, but when we're trying to sit here and say, what are Ballard and Ursay looking for? That phrase matters. Here's the thing. Though. And that is that is Rich Passaccia, Jake. So if you like him... That's that's the reason that you like him. No, I get because it. Because in a chaotic Raiders situation, with the coach resigning, guys getting arrested, tragic car accidents, that guy came in there and he led. I feel like leader of men has replaced... There are always these phrases in sports that pop up and then all of a sudden you hear them everywhere. Like for a long time there, it was high motor. Every player had a high motor. In basketball, every player's long. They're long. Coaching now, and technically speaking, if you're a head coach in the NFL, aren't you just naturally a leader of men? By definition, aren't you a leader of men? The locker room is men. You're the leader of them. You're a leader yeah, of I guess, men. Are right? you poor or a good leader? Speaking of high motor, I always am torn on this on the on the Bengals guy that got the penalty on Sunday, uh-huh. Joseph Asai. Yep. 
That's a 265-pound dude that showed great hustle on that play. If he was just lazy, he wouldn't have got there, and we never would have talked about him. You know, I always find this about like guys that jump high in the air and then drop a pass. Well, the reason they even got their hands on the ball is because they were an elite athlete and made that. Like, if they were 5'10", they wouldn't have been able to make that play. Kevin, do you realize the the hand-eye coordination or the instinctive coordination you have to have to in that, and I get it. I mean, your job is to know, but to be able to know in that literally millisecond that you've got to pull. I mean, the entire time you're running full speed, you are running for one purpose and one person only, purpose only, and that is to knock that guy down. Now all of a sudden you've got to pull up at the very last set. You got to look down to see where your foot is and pull up at the very last. Set. I, I get it. I mean, that's your job, and you've done it a thousand times. But I said this yesterday: the fact that he was so despondent to me shows me he's actually a pretty good teammate because he oh, cared. I mean, he immediately knew the ramifications. He, he, he absolutely cared as opposed to some guy that just, you know, I mean... I was like, is he hurt or is he crying? Right, well, I, he was hurt too, but... Uh, by the way, do you know where Rich Basachi went to college? Oh, gosh. This guy... I know that uh, Wink Martindale went to Defiance. He, which here's how I know that... Here's how I know this Rich Basachi is a genius, Okay. He went to Yankton College. Boy, that's quite the name. Which <laughs> is that a dentistry school? Man. Huh? Is that a dentistry school? Yankton College? <laughs> oh, that was a good one, Mark. Nice. So he went to Yankton College in South Dakota. Draw your own joke about what there is to do in South Dakota. And then, so he grows up in South Dakota, he goes to college there, and then he, let me tell you where he's coached. South Carolina, Clemson, Ole Miss, Tampa Bay, San Diego, Dallas, Las Vegas, and then now Green Bay. This guy basically clearly said, I've had enough cold weather in my life. I'm going to nothing but exotic locales to coach. Hell yes. Jake, we've had this That's a leader of man right there. We've had this debate over the past couple of days. Is it more offensive or is it more leader? And if you look at the last four candidates, again, the two offensive names this week, Callahan and Steichen, and then versus Martindale and Basaccia. Martindale and Basaccia, we heard from Chuck Pagano a few weeks back, Wink Martindale is a little Bruce Arians type. And, again, I know it's cliche. I know people poke fun at it. But for Chris Bowden and Jim Irsay, I honestly think they would side more with leader, less with offensive-minded head coach. Here's what I want. When I look at great coaches – for the most part, I think of them as a CEO, just the guy that naturally allows people to do their thing. You know the buck stops with them. They provide a confidence and exude a confidence about them that people who have been hired to do a job are going to be able to do that job underneath them. If you look at great college coach, what Nick Saban, John Calipari, Bill Self, um, and you look at great pro coach, you know, I think the world of Eric Spolstra in Miami. I thought you were going to say they're good cheaters, Well, some of those names you mentioned. But they oversee everything below them, right? Kind of falls into that category. But, you know, Eric Spolstra, um, Belichick, I realize, is kind of a defensive-minded, like, you know, guy in the lab, and he's the best of the best. But just a figurehead 
that it is very clear that they are the one that is going to make the final decision, but they trust the two people on either side of the football that are coordinators to operate and do what they've been asked to do, and they provide the guidance to do it. That's what I want, is somebody that walks into the room. There are certain people that I've been around in my life. There are certain people that when you walk in, it's like that person just commands the room by exuding a confidence and an air about them that makes you feel like you are confident so long as you're in their presence and so long as they're in charge, everything's going to be running okay. Isn't that Jeff Saturday? If you were to ask Jim Irsay, yes. If you were to ask Jim Irsay, and I think Jeff Saturday would be the first to tell you that is who I am just allow me now to assemble my people below me so that it can trickle down as opposed to people I inherited. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that. I think that's what Jeff Saturday would tell you, and I think it's what Jim Mercer feels. Yeah, again, the only reason Jeff Saturday is even on this list is because of that leadership quality. So I, I fully understand that we can poke fun at it, but it's one that you have to acknowledge because 1,000% whenever this head coach is hired, that phrase or that quote – will be mentioned in the opening press conference. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson to talk Pacers. He's over the Miles Turner contract extension coming up at 8.30. By the way, we have a Pacer that reportedly will be returning, or I guess making his debut on Thursday against the Lakers that we can chat a little bit about. And I'm kind of curious if his stay here in Indiana won't be very long. Yeah, right. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And he brings up a good point. Uh, didn't Pritchard sign Malcolm Brogdon and then trade him nine months later? I, again, I, I think this is different, but you can you, and will listen to. You always, that's exactly right. If, if a trade makes your team better. No one's untouchable. No one. Can't talk about it, though. It's the elephant in the room. I, now, Jeremiah Johnson is familiar with elephants, right? Haven't we been over this with them before? Oh, that's a good point. What was that? That's <laughs> probably exactly what Jeremiah wants to start off with. Do you think they had elephants in the, the Peru circus? I think we've been over this before with But them. I don't know if we've discussed the elephants part, right? JJ, good morning. <laughs> wow. Mark's on his game with all the uh, sound effects and the music. I, I give him a lot of credit for Tuesday morning. Did they bring elephants to Peru for the circus? So the, the Bruce Circus is the world's largest amateur circus. Emphasize the amateur. It's not a normal, like, Ringling Brothers circus that you might imagine. But there is one act that does involve an elephant. I don't know that they have it every single year, but um, I've seen an elephant in the Peru Circus before. Really? Now, the, does that elephant, that elephant doesn't live at Peru, right? It, it, it just travels to Peru? It lives there on Main Street. Brings all his stuff in the <laughs> trunk and shows Main up? Main and 7th. Okay. Unrelate, unrelated, the International Circus Hall of Fame is also in Peru, where there are some animals housed, but it's, they do not normally appear in the Peru Circus. The International sure Circus Hall of Fame? Does that have clowns in it? 
I'm going to make a well, stop there on 31 one of these days. <laughs> I'd like to see the parking lot. I, the, I'm picturing The parking JJ, lot for the Clown Hall of Fame is one spot, by the way. Picturing walking through the International Circus Hall of Fame and JJ's voice is just the one that's kind of <laughs> PAing you through the entire thing. It was a booming voice yesterday at the Miles Turner press conference from, from Jeremiah Johnson. JJ, th- there were times yesterday where I'm like, boy, this press conference is a bit of a, you know, wow, this is quite the ordeal for Miles Turner. But then I sat there and thought to myself, you know what? Good for the Pacers. You've got a major agency representing Miles Turner in CAA. You've got a guy that at times could have easily, you know, let his ego get the best of him and left or wanted to leave or go to free agency. And what the Pacers were doing yesterday has been a big initiative for Kevin Pritchard, and that is showing players that they care. Obviously, financially, that speaks to it, but it also, I think, sends a message to Miles Turner's agency that. Our organization will treat your clients right. I think so, and every situation is different. And there's no handbook uh, in the NBA for what you can and uh, you know are supposed to do in situations like this. And so, for this one, I was actually listening to you guys yesterday, and it did make me really think about things and put some good perspective in. When I think it was Jake who said, you know, or maybe it was Kevin, it was you know at the end of this contract, Miles will have been in Indiana for. 10 years and that just doesn't really happen in the NBA and then if you think about the other circumstances where you know he's I think he's on his fourth head coach he's been in different roles throughout this entire time he has to be honest been mentioned in trade rumors quite frequently and now in his eighth season is um, without question playing the best basketball of his career and he's done all the right things off the court it it deserved it. I mean, I think it was, I didn't think at any point being there yesterday that it was, it was too much. I thought it was appropriate. And the other thing is some things that happened yesterday were organic and seeing all the players show up on their day off. It wasn't like they said, Hey, you guys, we're going to have this press conference. It's right after practice. We want you to walk over from the gym. It was a day off. And then all the assistant coaches, some of them with, you know, their family members when we've been on the road for quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, they wanted to be there as well. So uh, that meant a lot. Um, I I just think that it was something that was unusual to happen during a season as well because you don't really see a lot of signings like this. The circumstances with having that extra cap space and having that ability to renegotiate or negotiate the extension in the middle of the season is, is pretty unusual. So there were a lot of circumstances that made it unusual but also I think made it memorable. Jeremiah, and by the way, that was Kevin yesterday who had pointed that out about the 10-year period with Miles Turner. I feel like, and I want your your thoughts on this, Jeremiah Johnson, regarding Miles Turner. I think Turner is a little bit a victim of circumstance in terms of his relationship with the city. And by that I mean, this is a town that saw Jermaine O'Neal and thought that the franchise, since Reggie Miller left... The fan base here has been longing for that guy that is the face of the franchise. They thought it was Jermaine O'Neal. They thought it was going to be Paul George. They thought it was Victor Oladipo. And each time they've longed for and just tried to find the guy. Okay, that's it. That's the guy. That's who now we're going to rally around for 15 years. And I think that prematurely people tabbed Miles Turner in that role And just because he's not necessarily the alpha number one guy doesn't mean he's not a critically important piece to what the franchise has in mind. I just feel like the 
the label of him from a franchise standpoint was just different than the expectation for fans and that, that that's always created like this wanting of more unfairly speaking from a fan standpoint but that the franchise has liked what what he has been is that fair i think that's i think that is very fair and well said and i'll think back to you know, sometimes it's it's nothing that the player does to say hey call me the face of the franchise we can be guilty in the media i mean sometimes when we're planning out our season opening preview show that's always one hour and we go through each position inevitably we're picking one player to give the most coverage to give the most hype and and hear the most interview sound from because we're sort of putting that person as as the leader and we did that i think in miles's fourth season and we were really hyping him up and he is what he is is what is one of the best defensive players and he was also offensively playing alongside you know Demontis Sabonis to where I don't think he could necessarily show what he is now just because Sabonis is gone and he's playing the five right now it doesn't mean he is now the face of the franchise but I'll say he is a face of the franchise and he is someone who's very important to the big picture of what they're trying to build and if you look at a core nucleus moving forward the next two years that at the very least includes Halliburton, Matherin, and Miles Turner, I think you're at a really good point. And then you decide which of the pieces that you have right now are the ones that you want to fill in around and maybe which are the spots that you add. But you're feeling, I think, really good about what you have at center because of what you can do on, on both ends of the floor. And the other thing that I'll add, and I've thought about this a little bit over the last couple of seasons, is there's probably no other player that when he has a bad game, and it's kind of what JMV is guilty of receiving you know, on his Twitter account, but if he has a bad game, I'll get texts from people that are complaining. And I, no other player, if, if Buddy Hill has a bad night, no one gets mad and sends me messages and says, I can't believe that. And I think there is just this expectation level sometimes with set centers, guys that are near seven foot, because no one else is that. And everyone, all, everyone that plays basketball thinks, if only I was 6'10", I would be able to do this. And I would be in the NBA. And I would be great. And I would never have a bad game. And so sometimes centers are you know they just have that additional responsibility and expectation and granted they have some additional help as well by being nearly seven foot but i think that goes into it as well and i do think miles has handled the occasional criticism and the expectation level as well as you could have you mentioned the guy there that's really fascinating like now that the miles turner situation at least for the next two years has seemingly settled itself out then you start looking at other pieces. Guy that really intrigues me, JJ, is Buddy Heald. Because, again, I want you to tell me if you agree with this. You're, you're very close to it, obviously, working on the broadcasts. With Buddy Heald, he is a guy that it seems to me like he was almost like that found $10 bill in your, in your, when you're doing your laundry. Because I think they really wanted Halliburton. They knew Heald was a good shooter. I don't know that they realized what a teammate he was. And maybe I'm off base, and I'm just going from afar. But it just seems like he is a very important cog in the wheel of what they want to do, and that he is a guy that players look towards a little bit in terms of a leader and a teammate for the Pacers. Am I overselling him? I don't think so. And you think back to we're almost one year now. Uh, from that trade to Sacramento. And the three players that went to Sacramento were, what, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and, and Sabonis. And 
only Sabonis is still there. And then the players that came to Indiana were Tristan Thompson, Buddy Heald, and Tyrese Halliburton. And at the time, I'm not sure it was anything other than Sacramento had sort of wanted to move on from Buddy Heald, and you needed to have the, the contracts match and fit because of the amount that Sabonis made compared to Halliburton. Since then, and even last season when the Patriots were struggling, we saw Buddy Heald's work ethic. We, we saw a positive attitude that was different than what you heard about him from Sacramento. And then even this season, he has been a very important part of what they were able to do in that first half of the season, exceeding all the expectations. It doesn't mean it's a slam-dunk choice by the front office to decide that this is your guy moving forward because we know how much things change in the NBA. And we have seen over the last couple of weeks, while he's had some really good games, it's been a lot more difficult for him without Tyrese Halliburton on the court. However, should you evaluate those two weeks or should you evaluate when Halliburton is on the court? Because if you're going to be what you want to be, Halliburton will be on the court most of the time. So um, it's one of those things that as they evaluate the next two weeks in the trade deadline and maybe even into the summer, they have to look at both things. But I think they probably also have to talk with Tyrese Halliburton. He is your face of the franchise that you mentioned earlier in what he thinks and not just who he wants on his team, but also who he thinks he plays well with is important. And so while you're asking me what I think about Buddy Heald, uh, what, what Tyrese Halliburton thinks might be as important as anything. Yeah, and again, on Buddy Heald, the durability for him and that skill set, I just don't think shooting ages quite like some other skill sets, so that is very, very attractive in retaining him. Jeremiah Johnson joins us, Bally Sports. Nothing for the Pacers here to start the week. Back-to-back coming up Thursday, Friday, Lakers and Kings inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. JJ, you mentioned Miles earlier, and obviously his rim protection. Uh, the Pacers are 25th right now in points allowed. That has obviously been an issue, particularly as of late. I would think the lack of Tyrese Halliburton has led to more turnovers. That, of course, is harder to defend in the open floor. Why do you think, having Turner, though, the issues defensively continue to be there? It's a good question. Uh, they can't just let people go to the paint and, and expect – him to solve all the problems and what ends up happening when you beat, get beat off the dribble and this is something I know John talks a lot about and I see it as well when, when, when teams get to the pain or when you're not able to, to stop guys off the dribble there always has to be a little bit of help so teams are not just going at the rim with miles there and choosing to attack one of the best shot blockers in the NBA they're often getting to the pain and then kicking out and you're constantly seeing guys have to help and it's just a, it's a rotation and these, these are the best teams in the world. And some of the teams, if I think back to Milwaukee uh, a little over a week ago, <laughs> the way they pass that ball around and find the guy that's going to have that opening to shoot a shot uncontested, it's phenomenal. It's almost breathtaking to watch sometimes. And you could, you could take some film of it and have an eighth-grade team or a freshman team or a varsity team watch it and say, do this, the way they zip that ball around. And so that's what the Pacers – are running into just because miles is on the floor doesn't mean you're automatically going to be an elite defensive team i think they should be better than they are right now but they're trying to to just make up for some you know maybe some personal issues maybe just they don't have as many good defenders on the court maybe the length and athleticism right now isn't what some teams have defensively to allow them to be higher it's something i know they're working on and they're not happy with but I don't know that you can necessarily say, well, you should have Miles Turner. You've got to be better than that. I mean, there it's five players on the court. 
Yeah, certainly the wing defense length an issue there. Again, Jeremiah Johnson from Valley Sports with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. JJ, you are a big schedule guy, which you know fully understand that. Obviously, when you travel as much as you, you do for the games, you're looking at the schedule. I look at these next three, Lakers at home, Kings on Friday, Cavs on Sunday. For a variety of reasons, this has got to be one of the more enjoyable, entertaining three-game stretches inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse all, all year long. Yeah, the first half of the season, there were a lot of weekend home games, and even um, over the last month when the Pacers have struggled, the the crowds at the weekends at Gamebridge Fieldhouse have been phenomenal, and so I'm expecting the same. You always get a good crowd when the Lakers are in. I will be following the LeBron James injury news. It doesn't look like now he's going to pass Kareem at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. There was maybe an outside chance if he would have played and played well last night. But that Sacramento game, this is going to be one of the more underrated rivalries, I think, the next few seasons in the NBA, especially for two teams that will only play twice a season. Because the venom that I felt from that crowd in Sacramento for Buddy Heald and the confidence that that team and swagger that they seem to be playing with right now, uh, you know, I know that they have a lot to be excited about and they deserve to be confident with where their record is and the way they're playing. But... But they're playing <laughs> with a little bit of swagger, a little chip on their shoulder. And I know that Tyrese Halliburton's not happy about what happened in Sacramento. So yeah, he didn't I play great that in that game. Gonna be, yeah, that Friday game's going to be phenomenal. You hope that he's able to put two good days of practice together and be able to play. And it'll be a lot to ask for him, having been off for two weeks and injured, to play the back-to-back and to play Sunday. So I'm not saying right now he automatically will be playing Thursday, will be playing Friday. We'll monitor and see what they say the next two days in practice, but uh, high profile as well. And even the Sunday afternoon game, 5 o'clock against the Cavs, I think a great crowd's expected there. So you're right on. You're spot on. If you've got a ticket this weekend, I think you should be treated to a show. And, and how about this weekend for basketball fans in this state to have the Pacers play those games on Friday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, and then IU-Purdue on, on Saturday. The schedule makers did it right this weekend. Bad. And little girls basketball sectionals as well. Hopefully the weather cooperates. On that in high Absolutely. school. Who's Peru got this weekend? That's what I'd like to know. Do we know? You want to lay a wager on the game? Oh, I always take Peru, yeah. You got Peru or Western? You know, you know what Peru's really good at? You know why in tight games, if it comes down to it, they usually win on a circus shot. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? That was fabulous. KJ, that was not a real laugh, was it? <laughs> Not really. You know, uh, I was dropping my son off at school before we got on the air, and he thought it was pretty cool that, you know, just listening to the radio, I didn't tell him I was going to be on, and they said I was going to be on. And he asked if, if this is one of my favorite shows to go on, and I said, yeah, you know, I enjoy it. I do have to be on my toes because uh, Jake will tend to ask me some questions that I'm not prepared for. But I can always count on something mascot-related or something circus-related. So <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely right. check that box you, today. You do agree, though, do Next you not? Next time you go to the zoo, Jake will be the third wheel. Jeremiah, you do. <laughs> you do agree, don't you, that Rocky is the in the non-boomer category? Rocky is the best mascot. We have determined that, correct? Not the gorilla. No, well, I think I did say the gorilla about a year ago on this show when you asked me that, but I was feeling bad about it at the time because Rocky was my one B choice. So you. Uh, you definitely do know your mascot. It's like Zach Eady or Trey Jackson Davis. You know, I mean, you can't go. You can really hardly go wrong. Uh, JJ, last one before we let you go. Tyrese Halliburton's got to be an all-star on Thursday, right? 
I think so. Uh, you know, the coaches vote. You know how much respect the coaches would have for him, not just for the way he plays, for the way he carries himself. I think there's also uh, respect for Rick Carlisle around the league. You'd think that would play into it as well. It's a tough choice. There are always going to be players left out, but leading the league in assists and doing what he did until he was injured in that first half of the season, 23 wins in the first 41 games, that's the body of work, and he played enough to be eligible. I, just because he missed the last two weeks, it won't be held against him, I don't think. There are some players, if you only play 30 games, then you're unlikely to be an all-star, and I think he's played enough. He's made an impact, and he should definitely be an all-star Thursday. I would be shocked if he's not. Yeah, I would agree on that. JJ, enjoy the uh, couple of quieter days back from Memphis, and uh, looking forward to these three home games at Gamebridge Fieldhouse coming up. All right, thanks, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Have a good week. Well, I, I remember we, we went paintballing once when I was like a freshman in high school. Probably we did it one time. Uh, Jason Keller got a welt the size of oh the, man the size Jupiter of a golf ball. storm. Yeah, and it was like oh, okay, we're good with that, right? Tucker, I'd like to know when do pet, pitchers and catchers report? Well, I always thought it was mid February. Do you think this is how I'm gonna? This is the question I want to lead off with with Tucker. Do you think that, that like? Other position players, do, do pitchers and catchers resent that they've got to go early? got to be, right? Excite. Thank you, Matt Thangman. Excite. Yes. Great. Uh, great human, joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, and I'm sure he's thrilled to be doing so. Joining us this morning, a return guest to the program who has become a friend of this station. You know him from his days, obviously, with the Reds, the Tigers, now the newest member of the Chicago Cubs. Tucker Barnhart joins us in... Tucker, do you ever wish deep down around this time of year that you were an outfielder and you don't have to report early? Why do, why do pitchers and catchers have to report before everybody else? That's a lot of stretching, right? A lot of calisthenics. Um, no, I wish a lot of times, that, I, and for a lot of reasons, that I was an outfielder. Um, and reporting early is definitely uh, one of those, that's for sure. Can you, I guess, kind of break down, and thank you for the time, by the way, Tucker. Uh, can you break down maybe the next month and a half, like once you get out there, like what your schedule looks like, and I guess what is kind of a daily spring training schedule? I, I'm like used to NFL training camp. I'm trying to compare it to that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, Groundhog Day. Every single day is about the same. Um, I'm an early I'm an early morning guy, so I like to get to the, get to the facility early. Um, roughly, I would say 6 a.m. I work out and stuff and get everything out of the way so um, I can enjoy the Arizona weather and go play some golf uh, in the afternoon when we're finished. Um, so until until uh, games start, we get there in the morning. Usually, I would say we have stretch around 10 o'clock um, and then go through our on-field work, bunt defenses and, and fundamentals and stuff like that that you see the, every Little League team um, up and down the state of Indiana doing. Uh, we do the same thing for about 45 days straight. And do you, were you able to keep the same house? Because, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, <laughs> geography related where Goodyear and Mesa is. I don't know if the kids are coming out there, but I, I was curious about that. 
<laughs> no, we we sold it, man. We um, it, and and it kind of worked out for the better, to be honest with you, because it would be about a at the I would say the quickest trek across Phoenix. Um, it would probably take me about an hour to get from Goodyear to Mesa, just because I have to go through rush hour and going through Phoenix, and then on the way back, I'd be going through rush hour. Um, headed out of Phoenix, so um, I, I wouldn't have. It would have been. It would have made for a long drive in the morning, um, which wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. But uh, we ended up selling it, and I am uh, in a place in um, closer to Mesa. Tucker, I we've had you on before, and I asked two or three questions that at the time. I remember thinking I'm almost embarrassed to ask this, but then you're a catcher. It's just such a unique position. So I have another one here. Are you ready? I mean, honestly, like I'm fully prepared for you to say yeah jake stop while you're ahead okay (laughs) no fire away i am curious about this so much of conditioning for any athlete of any sport involves you know running elliptical a a number of different things how do you balance as a catcher or do you have to balance making sure that you're staying in top physical condition but also doing it in a way that has to preserve your knees because your knees, from a catcher standpoint and the longevity thereof, has to be the most delicate of any probably position in professional sports because of the, obviously, the demands that are taking place on them. Does that come into play in any way, shape, or form? It does, for sure. Um, I think that you, you kind of watch what you do in terms of making sure when i'm a i love to squat so i'm a, i'm like a, in the weight room so i'm a, a back squat a front squat guy not to get too deep into lifting by any means but i i have to make sure that in terms of like form and stuff like that that it's pretty much as close to perfect as possible just to make sure that there's not a ton of load um on my on my knees when i'm when i'm working out um in terms of treadmill and elliptical and stuff like that i usually stay away from the treadmill just to kind of take the pressure off my knees when I do any running of any kind. Um, so it's just, it's a constant kind of just making sure that, that there's no, no pain or anything like that. And I think I'm a, I'm a shorter guy. I don't weigh a, a, a lot. I weigh 195 pounds and I'm five, nine on a good day. And I think that that has something to do with kind of making keeping my knees healthy. I don't have a ton of weight or I'm not a super tall guy. It's, it has to go a, a big a big distance when I squat down. So I think that plays a part in in me being able to maintain my knee health and stuff like that. So I de- there's absolutely is uh, I pay attention to it. I make sure that that if there's any any sort of twins or, or or any any pain whatsoever, I make sure that where I work out at I, I get it checked out. But luckily I haven't had any of that and hope to keep it that way. Are there ever during from a catcher standpoint, you know this stuff fascinates me in terms of the reps and everything that takes place. Because I've I've covered teams in spring training and seen kind of everything that goes on. So I'm curious if, from a catcher standpoint, do you ever say, you know, hey, look, I, I want to get more reps with this particular pitcher. Like I haven't caught him before. He throws a unique style. I'm not completely comfortable with like the, just where his ball placement is for me. Does do those conversations ever take place at all? Oh, of course. Um, especially I, I think as, as you get older you or you get more time kind of under your belt in terms of being in the major leagues, you can kind of 
pick and choose who you catch and when you catch them kind of obviously not during the game but but in bullpens and things like that kind of beforehand to get maybe a different look especially and and i think it's it's extremely important for me that going into this season, obviously with a bunch of guys that I've never caught before, making sure that, that once the season starts, there's no surprises or anything like that, and that I've seen everything and gotten comfortable with everyone that, w- that we have. Um, you, you really, when you're younger and you're in your first or second major league camp, you kind of get buried and you have to catch everybody. It doesn't matter who it is or, or when it is. Um, but but as you get older and as you gain more time, you uh, you can kind of pick and choose who you who you catch. So those conversations those conversations happen a lot during bullpens. They're really big. They're huge in, in my opinion. I think you kind of get to know the the way a guy ticks uh, when you when you have a conversation like that. Um, and those and those conversations are huge. Um, so that when you get to Chicago or we get wherever we are on the road, that, that when we when we cross a path that maybe we haven't yet, um, we can all we can kind of go back to a conversation maybe we had in spring training about a certain situation that helps you kind of get through or get out of get out of a jam or get through a situation that that you're in two-time gold glover obviously the brownsburg native and heading into year 10 in the big leagues tucker barnhart now with the cubs joining us here on the payless liquors hotline um it's been a busy offseason for the cubs they've kind of rebuilt the, the the middle of that defense including yourself um what are your thoughts on, on joining you know what used to be a pretty big rival and they're playing for maybe a little bit more defense and, and, and pitching this year. Yeah, you know, I'm excited. I, uh, it's been pointed out to me on Twitter multiple times that, that apparently I'm not allowed to play for any major league team that state doesn't border Indiana. Which <laughs> That's is, right. Uh, we got a lot which, of options. Uh, which is good. I guess, yeah, I got a lot of options, which is good. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited. I think that, that you – I think you would talk to a lot of guys around the, the big leagues that, that would consider – playing for the Cubs and playing in Chicago is if you're lucky enough to play in the major leagues and kind of get to pick and choose where you play, um, that Chicago playing for the Cubs would potentially be a bucket list type of thing for, for a lot of guys, myself included. I mean, I grew up not necessarily a Cubs fan or a Reds fan for that, for that matter, but obviously the Reds and the Cubs were on TV all the time. And, and I grew up watching them. I'd get home after school and, and flip on the day game and watch, watch Sammy Sosa or whoever play play um against against whoever and so i I watched the cubs a lot growing up um and so i'm super excited to be a part of that organization as a as a home player and call wrigley home instead of having to listen to go cubs go on the uh on the opposite end of the uh win-loss column uh as a visitor um but in terms of the team in general i'm i'm really excited uh i i think there's an emphasis on pitching and defense which i think kind of helps you sustain winning I, I think that that it's inevitable for for offenses to kind of go through hot streaks and slumps and such uh during a season but if you can play good defense and you can pitch uh, you're going to be in most games and I, I think that's what we're trying to build in chicago we're gonna have gold glovers all over the field and uh, i'm super excited to be a part of it you know on that note i think it's a part of the game we probably don't appreciate enough but certainly it's a big thing for you i'm curious like you are catching, let's say, Kyle Hendricks on a game day, and first pitch is seven oh five. What does the game day prep between you and him look like in getting ready for a lineup? Like, I'm I'm imagining a little bit of a play caller to a quarterback in the NFL. All right, this is what we're thinking. You know, first time through the order, we might want to do this, et cetera, et cetera. What exactly does that look like specifically on on game day? Yeah, well, so it's it's interesting that you say it's like play caller to to a quarterback. It's I think it's very similar. 
Um, and I, I think it's it's both ways. It's not not me being the play caller to him or him being the play caller to me. I think it goes. I think we're both a little bit of each um, because we both. I would say we're not. We won't do our prep together, um, our game planning together necessarily in terms of like a deep dive on an on the lineup for a team that we're getting ready to face. Um, but we will have a meeting kind of right before the start. So if um, it's a 7:05 game. It's usually, I would say, anywhere between 5:15 and 5:30, 5:45, where we sit down and we go through um, each hitter, um, what strengths and weaknesses, um, how that matches up against our guy that's on the mound um, that night. Um, guys that we like to may potentially avoid um, if if a situation is is second and third with a base open, we maybe walk this guy to pitch to the guy behind him that kind of thing. Um, so it, it's, um, it's some guys are different. Some guys like to sit there and chat for an hour about who they're facing. And some guys want it to be a five minutes long and, and just tell me um, what not to do to each guy. And, and so it's, that's, it's fun for me to kind of go through those. I've always been a guy that, that likes all the information. Give me, give me every bit of information I possibly can have and let me filter it. Um, and other guys are different, but uh, it's, it's, it's a fun. It's a fun part of the game for me. It's the kind of the game within the game cliche that you hear all the time. You know, we as fans and spectators talk about Wrigley Tucker. Tucker Barnhart's our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. We talk about Wrigley Field and the challenges, like in the corners. Like Andre Dawson was a great player, but he was a great player for the Cubs because he figured out the angles in right field at Wrigley, which are different than other parks. We as fans talk about that stuff, but do players? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we there. We'll have a. Um, we have a ton of meetings every day. It's almost. It becomes um, a little annoying at times, just because you want to get out there and play. But there are certain things that you obviously have to talk about. Uh, going to Fenway Park, for example, we before every before every series that you play in Fenway, you kind of the uh, whether you talk about it as a team or at just with the outfielders. Typically, it's everybody because base running obviously comes into play um, when you're talking about weird angles and weird walls and, and scoreboards and different things. Um, but yeah, it's talked about. It's talked about often. Uh, Pittsburgh comes to mind um, in left center out by the bullpen. They have this weird little triangle area. Obviously, Fenway Park, Wrigley Field is one of them. Um, but yeah, you, the, there are I would say half of the ballparks that are pretty standard and straightforward, and you don't talk about them. But I would say the other half half has a, a uniqueness to the outfield that, that you talk about from a defensive standpoint and you also talk about it from an offensive standpoint when it comes to base running and such you know what's funny tucker and this is literally the only area where our professional lives would have anything in common at all perhaps but <laughs> um so i do play-by-play for indycar races right i go to the different races and call the races and more often than not, I can't remember. People will ask me about, oh, you know, this race at this track. And I'm like, I don't remember that at all. Then I get to the track, I see the track, and I can instantly remember everything that happened the year before. Does that happen to you from a playing standpoint where, like, if you were to be asked about a certain ballpark, you're like, yeah, I don't remember the angle. And then you get there and you're like, oh, yeah, now I totally remember the, the different nuances of this park. Does that happen at all? Yeah, for sure. I think it comes. I, I think it comes in, in different in, in different ways. I guess you could have potentially uh, you could remember a ballpark by 
by a great play that you made. Uh, you can you remember it by a, a terrible play that you made or terrible decision that you made, and then you can you remember a park just kind of by the by the uniqueness or or the atmosphere or whatever. But it definitely does. I, I think that, that I'll always remember every little thing about um, Progressive Field in Cleveland because I, I caught a no hitter there a couple of years ago, and so it's just it things like that that kind of come to mind. Um, I'll always remember San Francisco and, and the way that the ballpark, the way that the, um, the wall in right field is and how hard the ball comes off because I got thrown out there a few years ago by what felt like 100 steps trying to leg out a double um, <laughs> that I should have stayed at first. So it, it, you definitely, definitely remember um, it right away when you walk onto a field if you don't remember it um, beforehand, you definitely will when you get there. Last one for me, Tucker. And again, Tucker Barnhart with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, getting ready to report for spring training here uh, in the month of February. Um, obviously, you are a huge Colts fan. You are a huge Pacers fan. I'll let you pick either or, whether you want to share some thoughts on the Colts head coaching search and or the Pacers season and the uh, recent Miles Turner contract extension. Uh, care to share any thoughts on either? Well, first and foremost, I want to know how the um, what the the progress on the Matherin statue is uh, on your behalf in front of Cambridge. Uh, yes. I'm actually heading down to Bloomington later today for a limestone meeting, so we we, we, we got to make sure we got some premium <laughs> premium materials on that front. But uh, five straight, I believe, off the bench, over 20 points or more for Mr. Matherin. So uh, thank you for asking about that. The update's no going doubt. great. I love I love watching them play, man. I think they um, in, in for for the first time, in my opinion, in, in the last couple of years, they're they're extremely exciting to watch play. Um, I'm I'm on the I'm in the Miles Turner camp. I'm I'm happy that he's here. Um, I I'm I'm pumped that that a guy and I, I I mean I know firsthand how hard it is for a guy to stay in one spot for a long time. It's not easy, especially in this day and age. And I think that you can hear it in his voice. In my opinion on how much he, li- he he loves Indianapolis. And uh, being from here, being a Pacer fan for pretty much my entire life, I love to hear that. And I'm pumped that, that, that he's a part of the, the organization for the next next couple of years and hopefully moving forward. Um, but, yeah, I, I enjoy watching him play. It's, uh, it's for the first time in a while, like I said, it's, in my opinion, kind of must-watch TV. And so I, I check him out as much as I possibly can. I won't get into the other thing. I have some pretty strong opinions <laughs> about the other, the other organization, but I'll just, I'm going to keep it there. Save those for our text message. <laughs> By the way, are there fewer catchers that have caught a no-hitter than there are pitchers that have thrown one? That is a phenomenal question. Um, because I would think I, there are. I mean, there are guys that caught you know, more than one, right? But, but, but then again, one would think that like Nolan – I don't know, Nolan Ryan, did he throw of his seven no-hitters, were they to seven different catchers? I mean, there had to have been repeats in there, right? I would think so. I would think that there just – it, it would make sense to me that that there would be less catchers, right? Like that's more. So, in other words, you're in a more exclusive fraternity than say Nolan Ryan or Roy Halladay or those guys are, right? I, 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 th- I mean, it would make sense, yeah. So and and you caught whose? <laughs> Wade Miley. That's pretty awesome. Have you been close? Yeah, uh, how, how deep into a game have you been with a perfect game? Oh man. Um, Let's see. That, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I would assume that it, ha- it was probably um, – because Wade, Wade doesn't walk, guys. He's, like, on the very, very, very low end of, of walk, walk percentage, I, I think, in the major leagues or in, throughout his career. So I would assume that, it's that, that it was that night. Um, 
but I don't know exactly when in the game it was. How, how I was thinking early, like early in your career, you and Mike Leak going six innings or something with a, with a perfect game. I don't know. I could be off on that. We, I had one. I caught my I caught Mike in Philly one time where you get the you get these feelings where you start to you start to kind of feel it a little bit you, mm-hmm. whether the the pitcher has like his his a stuff or whatever you're getting just a bunch of early weak contact um and, and so i i think that sounds right we were in philadelphia and i i do remember having what felt like one of those nights and i believe it was like into the fifth inning so i would assume it's either that night or uh, or the one with wade that's for sure who's the most talkative guy when he comes to bat like you know that's always like hey man what's up and like wants to chat and you're like look dude i got a job to do here <laughs> there's a guy named there's a guy named brad miller so the uh the he's been around for for a while and uh the PA announcer in Cincinnati has a very uniqueness to his way that he would announce my name. And uh, every time, it doesn't matter where I am, it doesn't matter who he's playing for or with, every time he comes to the plate or he sees me, he tries to announce my name exactly like the PA announcer <laughs> in Cincinnati. And it just is like, uncle, man. I mean, I've heard this is the 50th time you've done this. Let's come on. <laughs> well, he's with he's with the Rangers, I think, Literally now, right? Like Jake would do. So unless there's interleague play, he, he's not going to be able to do it this year, right? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I like the guy a lot. Like, he's a good dude. I enjoy talking to him. But, man... <laughs> it's, been, it's been a lot. A lot. So when is the uh, when's the departure date again? I'm leaving on Saturday, so uh, I uh, I've been conveniently waiting for uh, a car shipping service to get to my house. He's now an hour and forty five minutes late, yeah. so we're uh, it's throwing a little bit of a wrench into my morning. <laughs> well, safe travels. Um, obviously, the time change will put a little bit of a wrench into our conversations. But uh, congrats on joining Chicago. I think you know just as a sports fan that's got to be pretty darn cool to play in that ballpark on a daily basis so enjoy what mesa's offering you and uh, have a healthy season man i appreciate it guys i listen every morning uh me and my oldest son do actually so i uh, love listening to you guys and uh, i'll be listening as much as i can when i'm out in arizona thanks tucker appreciate it you got it guys thanks